Hi, everyone. This week is a very special topic that's near and dear to my heart, and we wanted to really close off Black History Month with talking about anti-Black racism in healthcare. Before we go much further, I do want to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. What you may hear may be triggering for some. For some listening, it may create feelings of anxiety or may trigger experiences that other people have have had previously in regards to their experiences with healthcare. The experience that my mother had was traumatizing, and I could only imagine if she didn't have me as an advocate for her, how would it have gone otherwise? We do want to caution those who are listening that the beginning of the episode may cause some people to have an unsettling feeling as they may listen to my mom's experience at the hospital that she visited. We are in conversation with the hospital organization to see change and to hope that we will see a different future where that when all people coming in to receive care will be treated with respect, dignity, professionalism, and that health equity and anti-blackness in healthcare is the default to how we think about, treat, and care for our patients who are racialized, black, and indigenous. Thank you again for tuning in and listening to my mother's story. Excuse me, hello? Excuse me, hello, Jordan? I need help here. Get off the phone. Can you call the Windsor Hospital right now, please? Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice messaging system. Hello? Calm down. Calm down. Please call an ambulance, Jordan. Call 911. She's at the hospital. Call 911. Yes, she's at the hospital. Mom, relax. Please call 911. I'm, I'm, I'm outside. I'm outside. The, the security removed her after she told them that she's going to have a heart attack. I am going to... I am put, Just give me a second. Mom, please call, call 911, Jordan. I don't think it works for you. Call 911, Jordan. Mom, mom, I need you to calm down and take a deep breath. This is what happens to black people. This is racism. Take a deep breath. Mom, take a deep breath. Your dad needs to be talking to you two months ago. Mom. I need you to take a deep breath. I am taking, I am taking deep breath. I hate this hospital. Mom, take a deep breath, please. I am. Why did you take her out? Because you're on the phone there? Oh, 
Hi, my mother-in-law is outside of Windsor Memorial Hospital, and she has um, a uh, issue with her heart, and she is been kicked out by security because she had my wife on the phone as a nurse, and she really needs to get out because she's been cardioverted before and she's received an ablation. She's overdue for an ablation because of COVID, and she's having some serious trouble. <sighs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to uh, this episode. What I first want to say is this particular episode means a lot to me. And I think I'd say every episode means a lot to me. But I think we need to talk about anti-racism in healthcare. Uh, we are at the end of the Black History Month. And I, of course, I will always say that, you know, Black History Month and Black History is Canadian history. But it, it hit me a little bit different uh, this month. And I think Anybody who's racialized can say that this month has been kind of abysmal just watching the occupation because really it is um, an alt-right. We know now it's like an alt-right group that is really fueling and pushing some of this agenda forward. Yeah, and I think that um, before we get into what happened, I just think, Amy, it's so great that you're willing to share this difficult experience that you had with your family. And I just think about what happened to your mom could have easily happened to a thousand other patients in a thousand other emergency departments. But these people didn't have a family member who was in the healthcare system, who knew how to navigate, who knew how to advocate for what was needed and what wasn't being done. And I just think about all the different ways that this could have gone more sideways. And I'm just really thankful that you're able to share. And it just speaks to the pervasive racism that exists in healthcare. And just calling it out is so important, I think. Yeah. And, and I mean, one of the things that I want to kind of catch what you said was like, it could happen to thousands of people. And I, and I believe, I honestly believe that is happening to a lot of people. I feel that instances of racism in healthcare are probably underreported. I, I don't know how many families would go back and say, you know, was that racism that I experienced? Or even if they knew it was racism, if they would know about how to go about reporting it or dealing with it in that particular manner, because there's a lot of fear in and, you know, saying that this is how someone treated me, fear of, you know, going back in and potentially being mistreated again, fear of, you know, not having your concerns taken seriously. I think there's a lot of concerns why it may not be, you know, talked about or it may not be brought up. And I think the other piece that you touched on was having that advocate. Um, over the last two years, I'd say that, you know, we were, we've been able to build somewhat of a, a platform to talk about these issues in healthcare. But again, what if it wasn't someone who had a platform? What if it was someone, you know, I'd say most people don't have over 20,000 followers combined with all our socials following to talk about, you know, issues of healthcare. So how do we move these things forward? Because I think the default in care should be health equity. It should be anti-racism. That's how it should be. But unfortunately, in our system, it's not playing out that way. And it's very, very concerning. And we have to blow the lid off of it. I've heard bits and pieces, so I have not even heard the whole story, but I, I'd be really grateful, Amy, if you would start from the beginning and kind of explain how this whole scenario unfolded on your end. Yeah, so uh, this happened about two weeks ago, and essentially, my mom actually lives out in the Windsor area, and I live in the Hamilton, Niagara region area, 
And so that's about, I'd say like a 3.5 hour drive. If you're driving really fast, maybe three hours, <laughs> <laughs> but um, like it's about a 3.5 hour drive. And typically I'd say like my mom has actually ha- had used to in the past live actually really close to me. Like um, before we moved uh, to this area, she actually lived like five doors down from me when we bought, we both purchased homes in Shelburne. But in this particular instance, my mom lives in Windsor. I live out here in uh, Hamilton, Niagara region. And this particular morning she had called me. And and honestly, I have like when I think about my mom and I think about how um, how she is when it comes to her illness or whatever, she minimizes and downplays everything. I'm the one as her daughter, as the nurse to be like, oh, you know, you need to take this more seriously. When's the last time you followed up with this particular thing? Like I'm the one that's always pushing her where she's like, right, oh, no. Right oh no, Amy, I'm fine. I can't do my mom's accent. But anyway, she's just kind of like, Amy, I'm fine. So like um, this particular day, so when my, so when my mom calls me and says that she's not feeling well, I, I take it pretty seriously because I, she does downplay kind of, you know, how ill she is yeah. um, some of the times. So this particular morning she'd called me and the first thing, the first words out of her mouth was, um, Amy, I'm heading to the hospital because I feel like my heart's going to stop. And of course, you know, as a daughter hearing that, knowing how far away I'm, I am, I'm like, oh my God. Like Your heart probably stopped when you yeah, heard that. It's, it's, I'm, it's concerning. My mom's not, my mom's not young. She's, she's 72 years old, but you know, black don't crack. She looks fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, she has some heart, she has some health issues and I'm not going to get into everything, but particularly she has um, heart issues. She has had a AFib, so atrial fibrillation. Essentially, it's a condition where the heart quivers. For her, she's had to have she's had um, she's been cardioverted before. She's been medically cardioverted. Um, she's had ablation surgery, cardiac ablation surgery, and again, you know this this problem is creeping up. And I believe that also she was supposed to get an ablation done recently, but because of the pandemic and all of the different pressures on surgeries, it's again been postponed. Another issue for another day that we need to talk about this particular instance so she called me first words out of her mouth was i'm heading to the hospital it feels like my heart's gonna stop so i'm like oh my god okay um i'm like who's with you is dad with you and she's like no dad's not here i'm like where's dad like <laughs> and i'm just like what do you mean he's not there so i'm like so she's like he's not here um my cousin's your your cousin's gonna drop me but she's got to go back because the other piece to this is i also have an aunt who's palliative so her daughter needs to go back to look after her mom who's palliative but she was gonna just drop my mom off at the hospital and and I said to my mom, I said, so you'll have nobody with you. And she's like, that's right. I'm like, okay, well, so you're not scared and you're not fearful. Just keep me on the phone. And she's like, yeah, I'm afraid that if I don't have anybody there with me, I don't have someone to, you know, give my health information. At least if I have you on the phone, you can provide whatever stuff about me to the nurse or whomever in the case that I pass out. And of course, like in the background, I'm kind of panicking because I'm just kind of like, like, I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah, for sure. My my mom is sick and she's having these issues or whatever so I'm I've been taught I was on her on the phone with her pretty much from the time that she got into the car with my cousin I could hear my cousin in the background trying to keep it late but as she gets to the hospital so she gets dropped off and my my cousin leaves and goes to deal with my my aunt who's palliative I'm just kind of talking to my mom on the phone and I'm like okay so like go in get your you know get your screening or whatever so I'm on the phone. I hear her talking to the screening nurse, um, answering the the answering the screening questions and whatnot. You know, she goes and sits down, and there's a wait. Like, I was surprised that I, I, I said to my mom, "I'm like, have you like let the triage know nurse know at, in the very least if you're not being triaged yet that you know you have a cardiac issue, you feel like you might pass out. So at least they have eyes on you in the emergency department." 
And again, this is my quality improvement lens kind of coming in because I also do quality improvement in, emer- in emergency services. And, you know, there are standards of care that we follow. We have a CTAS uh, triaging acuity scale where there's CTAS 1 to, one, one to 5. And, you know, if someone comes in saying that they have chest pain, shortness of breath, cardiac features, there's various different things that, that, that are considered modifiers as well, that you'd get a triage, a CTAS score, then should be triaged appropriately. But again, anybody coming in with heart heart issues, and uh, this is for you, you non-medical folk out there that are listening, the standard of care is actually an ECG within the first 10 minutes. Now, does that happen on record? I'd say that, you know, hospitals are, are striving to get to this target, but I think that there's a lot to be said about what the time frames may be. But essentially, it, the the window of time is ten minutes, and then again, if they're if you're not having a heart, you might go back out and wait. But then at least they could deal with a more serious incident if you are having like a STEMI that they can they can get you treated um, much more quickly. So just just let me cut in for a second. So in the emerge, are you allowed to have a support person, or is it just? It's only the person that needs to be treated at this point. So at the at this current moment, um, there is an allowance for one additional per- support person. Okay. And the other piece is, again, there are no standards or guidelines that you cannot use a cell phone in the emergency department or be on your cell phone. Like, let me ask you, Sarah, have you been to the emergency in the last, let's say, six six to eight weeks? No, I haven't. Okay. So I have. <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> I have. And yeah, lots of people are sitting in the emergency department on their cell phones. This is not something that's new. I know some places have cell, like signs about saying like you can't take photos or blah, 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 blah. Cool. But at the end of the day, you can use your phone in the emergency department as you so desire. Right. So again, my, I think, I don't, I don't even know. I, I think my mom either had me on speakerphone or she, no, she didn't have me on speakerphone at this point in time, but um, she was kind of listening to me in, on her ear and she was now, like I could hear that her her work of breathing is getting worse. And now she's been sitting there for quite some time and I'm kind of like, okay, like let go up to the triage nurse. I'm like, let them know that you're here at the very least and that you feel like you're about to pass out. Because essentially she's like, things are going black. I'm going down. I'm like, oh my God, just go let someone know. She did say to me at one point that there was someone with her. So I'm like, okay, um, at the very least, I'm like, just wait till, you know, that patient's away. So, you know, we're not worrying about patient confidentiality. And then at least let let the triage nurse know. So I can hear my mom go up and say to someone, whether it was the triage nurse, I believe it was the triage nurse, to say, I I could hear my mom in the background. She's like, I feel like I'm about to pass out. Or no, sorry, her words were, I feel like I'm about to black out. I feel like my heart's going to stop. And I hear this nurse yell, go and sit down. I'm like, oh, oh my God. God. Like, is that how you talk to people? Like, not even, oh, yes, I heard you. I'm, um, I'll am i be out there with you very shortly. She yelled at my mom to go sit down. Oh, so, your poor mom. So I can hear my mom, like, getting upset. She's like, mom, she's like, Amy, did you hear that? I'm like, yeah, I heard. I'm like, at least you have their attention. They know that they're they're aware that you're you're here. You've let them know that you have a cardiac issue and you let them know that you feel like you're about to black out. So I'm like, please just keep me on the phone at this point in time. Cause if you black out, I can provide that additional health information for you and kind of let them know why you're there, what they need to look for, whatever the case may be. So I can hear some mumblings going on in the background. And now I hear my mom, I hear the nurse say to my mom that if if you don't hang up your phone, I cannot provide you care. What? Since, I beg your when, since when was that a requirement? 
it, 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 this was news to me. So I'm in the background. I'm like, excuse me. Hello. Hello. I'm on the phone. I'm like, mom, can you put me on speakerphone? So I, so she puts me on speakerphone and I'm trying to say, I'm like, hi, my name is Amy. I'm a nurse. And I, all I can hear is I'm going to call security. I'm like, what is happening? So my mom's just like, I'm like, I'm like, mom, just throw your, your, your phone into your purse and just leave it on speak, like leave me on speakerphone. I just won't say anything. And next thing I know, the phone hangs up. So now my anxiety level is like through the roof, through the roof. I call her back. I'm yelling at my husband and I'm just like, you need to call. You you need to come down here right now because something is going something is going on with my mom at the hospital. So I finally get through to my mom and she is hysterical. And I could hear her saying to me and I could hear sorry, I could hear her saying to the nurse, why, I, I, why are you going to kick me out? Why are you, why, why, why do I have to turn off my phone? Are you going to say that I don't deserve, I'm not going to get care because of my phone. And I, I can hear the nurse mumbling in the background. I could hear the security. And she's like, she's like, so do you know that if you, if you force me to leave and something happens to me while I'm out on the curb, that this is your responsibility. And the most damning piece to this, I actually heard the nurse say was, no, I don't care. It's not my responsibility. Like what? I heard it. What kind I of nurse it. says that? Like, honestly, we have a duty to care for other people. You can't just turn people away and emerge. At least my understanding up until this point was that you literally can't turn people away for care, even if it's the most asinine request, which your mom had a totally legitimate request and they should have really been jumping on her to get her a bed as soon as possible not tell her to go sit outside they decided to police her, my mom's cell phone use and essentially i was like my mom's poa or substitution decision maker at that point and they decided this nurse particularly decided that the cell phone usage was more important than the care the care of a patient who was coming in with a cardiac problem feeling like their heart was going to stop so I, so my mom's in tears. I can hear her like crying and she's like, I'm outside of the hospital. She wouldn't, she essentially humiliated me, embarrassed me, was yelling at me and told me that if I didn't turn off my phone, that I was not going to get care. And, and I said that that's not right. We're going to deal with this. We are going to deal with this today. And the scariest part for me was the time in between the fact that my mom was almost hyperventilating to the piece where we had to call 911 for someone to for her to get care. Now, I have to say that it was a really smart decision, though, on your part to do that, because I don't know if anybody would have thought of that idea even. Well, I was on the phone with her long enough that if these people knew they knew that she was coming to seek care because of palpitations because she had just said to them minutes prior that she felt like her heart was going to stop that she felt that she was go- that she was going to black out they knew that that was the reason and not someone should have at the very least followed her out and been like no no come in we're go- we're going to figure this out they let her physically walk out of the hospital to sit on the to sit outside of the front of the emergency department knowing full well that this patient could have died on their doorsteps without supporting them 
without supporting her. In my experience, every time I've gone to a merge or I've brought a family member or a friend, they always do at least a set of vitals before they even kind of put you in line, right? So it sounds Nothing like she done. didn't even get that. Nope, nothing was done. They did. She they didn't register. She was not registered, or she wasn't under the name of this nurse. Nothing. None of that was done because the concern was policing my mom's cell phone use. And again, mm-hmm. like this is where for me is one of the hugest problems. Like I think to myself, I'm like, you know what? Why did this happen? Why did this occur? So so let me circle back to the point where essentially we. I I had to, as I was trying to keep my mom calm because I was afraid that, you know, she might pass out on the steps there Mm -hmm. and that these people wouldn't even, weren't even thinking to come out to look after her. I called, I got Jordan to call 911. Right. So I'm trying to keep her calm. I'm trying to talk to her. And um, my husband calls 911. The ambulance has to come. To take to the her hospital. back inside. To take her to the right. hospital. That she's sitting. Literally. Literally. They just carried her back in. Like they just showed up at the curb and carried her back in. Yep. They just. Like five uh, steps. So they came. So well actually. So the. I saw uh, the paramedics came. And I spoke to one of them. I was very very upset. And he's just like. Oh whoa whoa. It's not. It's not me. And I'm like. I'm not. Um, putting my frustrations on you. It's just the fact that. I had to call 911 for my mom to get care. Eventually, someone did come out. It was a, a, a different individual, a different nurse that did come out and then end up triaging my mom. But this was after this whole thing that took place over, you know, I'd say probably like a 13 minute time frame. I'd say from the time she got there was probably over an hour. But this whole interaction lasted about 13 minutes. And it just begs to question. I said, you know, I, I was doing literally three things at once. I was getting Jordan to call 911. I was on the phone with my mom and I needed to get her help. So I went on Twitter. We have a strong Twitter following. We have a a loyal Twitter following. Thank you guys. Mm-hmm. And that day the community came out to help because at the end of the day, you know, you think that when you're in these situations that you, we as nurses, we're, we're so used to being in emergency situations, you know, that that switch comes on very quickly where we move into this mode of just action, Right. Right. We don't even necessarily think about what we what we need to do because we're trained so well that the motions, whether it's whether it's ACLS, which is like um, cardiopulmonary um, resuscitation, or whether it's um, you know a, a particular skill or any of those things, right? It just comes naturally. But when it when it comes to your family, it's like a different kettle of fish. I needed help. I and the other thing is, I was in Hamilton. There's there's no me jumping in the car to reach her in 15 minutes. She's three and a half hours away. And um, we did get a lot of people reaching out saying, hey, like, I'll meet you at the 401. We could ride down to Windsor together. I had people that were in the community looking for her. I had people that were calling the hospital. And like, you know, I got to say shout out to like my nurse and physician colleagues that were calling the hospital to make sure that she was getting the tests and care that she needed to know that, you know, she she is a human being and she is loved by her community. But by God, I had to call down fucking hell's fury. Right. And that should not be the case. No, I just can't imagine what I mean, like, honestly, what you had to do was just insane. And the fact that you were that far away, but you stayed on the phone with your mom and you got someone to call 911. I mean, you moved hell and 
beyond just to get your mom the treatment that she should have gotten in the first place. And honestly, like, I just think about your mom, like, she's such an awesome person. Like, she would never ask for anything unless she really needed it. And the fact that she was in tears just shows you how bad the situation was. And that nurse, like, if I can even call her a nurse, like, what what was she even thinking? Because the thing is, like, we talk about on other episodes how nurses deal with violence. So a patient that's violent to everybody that they come in contact with appears to have rights to treatment, even though all your mom did was keep you on the phone because she was alone. Somehow that superseded all of the care that needed to be provided, all of the triaging, all of what we're supposed to be doing as healthcare providers. All of that went out the window. And I have to ask the obvious question. If she was not a Black woman, would this have been different? Well, th- that that's the $150,000 million billion dollar question. And the thing is, if you want me to be honest, I believe that her care would have been different. And, and let me let me kind of break this down and explain why do I feel this might be the case. There there is this thing that that people are so afraid to acknowledge, and it's not even just about talking about privilege and the privilege that as a white individual that you carry this invisible backpack. And of course, I'm not talking about you know that that white people can't have struggles, but I am talking about this in, in, invisible privilege that white individuals carry. That again, there's this, this there's this fear about talking about unconscious bias and unconscious bias that actually is based in racist ideas, racist stereotypes, and discrimination, marginalization, all of these various different isms, and. I think people would would like to think that, you know, racism doesn't necessarily occur in healthcare, but it occurs in all aspects of our life. It occurs. And the thing is, it occurs to us who are racialized and maybe it doesn't occur to people who aren't racialized because, again, they are not the ones who are at the experiencing end of this. I beg to question why it was felt that it was necessary to police my mom's cell phone use. Like what did, what, like I, I, I have mulled this over time and over the last two weeks, Sarah, what exactly was the reason to focus on my mom's cell phone use over the fact that she was saying that she was going to have a heart attack? I, I just don't understand. Like, I, there are lots of things that racialized people do when it comes to receiving healthcare in this country and abroad. We feel the need, and I've done this too, to put makeup on, to, you know, dress differently, to go in to receive care so they don't stereotype me. They don't, they don't think that, you know, I'm from a marginalized community. They don't, they, that, with the hopes that my care may be, may be different or that I'll have a different experience. But time and time again, I have seen it through my own interactions with patients and families, through care that others have delivered to them and, and to myself and now to, to my mom. This is, this is a huge problem. We have to address unconscious bias discrimination, stigma, and racism in healthcare. We can't continue having a system where we where we ignore a problem that is sitting right in front of our faces because at the end of the day, this can kill somebody. My mom could have been a victim of racist abuse in healthcare because the very the only thing that made my mom different from the 90% 
plus patients that were sitting in that emergency department was the fact that she was black. I asked my dad when he got there, I, I spoke to him and he's like, everybody's on their phone in the emergency department. I don't understand why she was so concerned about your mom, like your right, mom using right, her phone. Right. Everybody was, my dad's like, everybody here is on their phone. And this is what the problem is. Like we have to address it. We have to deal with it. We have to talk about it. And if we don't address it, we will continue to see racialized people, anti-black racism, and people dying of poor care because of their skin color. And I think people people will say to me, oh, you know, you, you, why is this about race? Or how are, why are you making this about race? And it's it's not about race. It's about racism. It's about the way that people view and perceive people from a different race, which is a social construct. And then it also intersects with the way that they behave towards these people or how they act towards these individuals. And that inherently is through racist ideas, racist bias, discrimination, and, and stigma. Yeah. And you know what really bothers me is when I hear people say, I don't see color. Because oh first of all, that's physically impossible. Okay. Like if you look at your mom and you look at a blonde haired white woman, you can't possibly say that you don't see the physical difference. Like it's okay to acknowledge there is a difference. But what's not okay is to treat someone differently or, or treat someone worse based on how they physically look. Like I've met your mom and she's a lovely woman. There was no reason why she needed to be treated that way. And I guess this is my case review lens coming out, right? Like the fact that there was no documentation about that initial interaction with your mom and that Nothing. nurse. Basically, from a legal standpoint, it's like it's like her word against the nurses, right? Like there was nothing documented about this interaction. There was nothing to say that she was told to turn off her cell phone and that was the reason why she wasn't seen. There was no documentation about her being kicked out to the curb, right? Like I guess the documentation would have started from when you called the ambulance and they picked her up. Then it was on record. But none right. of this other stuff would have made it, right? If and that's the part that concerns me. Yeah, I think the other piece that um is something that I've learned. And, and you know, it, it, it is very sad that racialized individuals feel the need to do this is to pull out my cell phone and fucking record. Because if, let's say this, right? If that young girl didn't record what was happening with George Floyd, would the verdict have been the same? Would we have been saying that the, the use of force was excessive? Would we be saying, would we, would, would he have gone to prison and been charged with murder? Mm -hmm. Probably not. And I think about Joyce Eshaquan too, right? If she hadn't recorded those nurses being racist to her in her last moments, would this have even made it to the news or would it have just been another Indigenous woman who died? Right. Another Indigenous or, or, you know, Black individual lost in the system or, you know, just, you know, just just another number, just another face. I, I mean, this is why I had I didn't unfortunately I didn't get the first part of the interaction. But of course, I was on the phone. I could hear very clearly. And I started writing fervently what was happening. And this is this is just, you know, this is our quality improvements lens. This is us as nurses knowing in the importance of documentation as things are happening. And I picked up my phone and I recorded the second half of the interaction because I, I I knew that there's always that side where people are like, it didn't happen. It, it never went that way. 
you know, there's got to be an explanation. You give me, even if I didn't record it, give me the explanation why a cell phone was more important than providing clinical care. Right. There is none. There is absolutely none. And this is where it's 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 frustrating because as much as I want to help, as much as I want to support, and again, um, you know, Sarah, this is a part of some of my life's work where, you know, advocating for anti-racism, anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism in healthcare, and how do we dismantle some of the systems that are, that we see that we're working in. But the thing is, I'm, I'm one person, right? If I had to go through this to advocate for my mom, imagine just someone who doesn't have a platform doesn't have doesn't feel that they know how to navigate the healthcare system because the other piece is obviously my quality improvement lens in emergency services how would how would someone be able to navigate this how would how would a regular individual know to say that something was awry here Right. And I think this is where there are a lot of frustrated patients and their families where something like this happens and they don't know where to turn. And I think maybe it'd be helpful if we talk about what the options are. If something like this happens to yourself or a loved one, like what are your viable options in terms of how to bring these concerns forward to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again? Yeah. Well, before we get to the options, I just I, I just want to say kind of what has happened and what has transpired over the last two weeks. So first and foremost, my mom is doing okay. Yay. Yay. Um, she's following up, getting appointments, trying to figure out when she can get her ablation done. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm helping her with all the back end logistics of, of all of that. The worst part, the, the part that would happen to any racialized person experiencing this and what makes me even more sad is the fact that my mom doesn't want to go through for care. So even last week she reached out to me and said she was having palpitations. And I said, all right, um, what do you want to do? And she's like, I'm not going back there. And I'm like, okay, well that's, we can't, we can't do that is not the solution, but that's scary, right? How many people, how many racialized individuals fear going into the healthcare system because of the treatment or the mistreatment, I should say, that they have received. And now my mom is a victim of of this abuse that happens, that has occurred to her. And I'm three hours away. So it's just like, I, 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 I now have to, and she now, even more importantly than me, has this fear of the healthcare system, feeling that if she was to go back to this hospital in Windsor, that she would not receive the care that she deserves to receive. And she said it to me. She said, Amy, you know, I know there's some things that you've been talking to the executives, talking to some of the people there to see how you might be able to help. But I don't want any, any extra treatment. I don't want, I want to be able to go in there dressed however I, I am and see what happens. See if the care that I receive will be the same or whether I'll have a different experience. Because the other piece that I should have dropped in was this is actually not the first incidence that she's had with this organization. And actually the previous time, again, it was about cardiac issues. She didn't have any blood work or any any ultrasounds or anything done on her heart. And she was there for like 12 hours. The doctor was astounded. I ended up reaching out and speaking to their patient relations department. And my mom was actually supposed to be on a quality of care committee talking about how to improve cardiac care for patients. Then wow. this happened, right? Wow. So this was now the second incident that that just really 
bubble to the surface to say that there is a problem here. And of course, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to pull in other people's stories because their experiences are different. But we have seen other accounts of other people talking about racism in Windsor, particularly racism at this organization. So, I mean, the, the, the saddest part of all of this is now my mom's mistrust of the healthcare system. Again, the, the thing that we even as healthcare providers, we as nurses don't want to see. And how many other racialized individuals feel this way? It's, yeah. it's the worst part. Um, the other piece is, yes, I am talking to the organization. They have, they've reached out very quickly. I de- I'll be honest. I demanded to speak to the president. I said, like, they're like, oh, here's the, the manager of the emergency department. I'm like, I don't want to talk to her. Here's the director. I'm like, I don't want to talk to that person either. Here's the director of patient relations. I don't want to talk to them. I need to talk to someone who is going to be committed to making changes. And, um, Again, we're still seeing what that might look like, but the overall sense is there's a problem. They need to address the problem. And you know what? This is not just a problem that this hospital has. It's a problem that I would say every single hospital has. Like this mm-hmm. is this mm-hmm. is this is work that needs to be done. And I know there are there are times where, you know, I might tweet something or whatever the case may be. And if it gives you, I always say this. If something I tweet gives you a visceral response when it comes to, you know, tweeting about racism or anti-racism and you feel that like, you know, is this person talking about me or, you know, what, like, who's she directing this at? I am directing it at anybody who has eyes and can listen. (laughs) Like, really? Right, right. That's, that's, that's my goal is to make people think about how we do care because right now what we have been doing is not working. It's not, and maybe it's working for some people, but it's not working for all, all of these slogans. Like, I think if we were to pull a whole bunch of hospital slogans up, I bet you the word excellence, quality, these various different principles are there. You can't say that you're providing excellent, excellent service, excellent or high quality care. If it's only for some of the members of your community, it's gotta be for everybody. So I don't know what that will look like. Um, in terms of what supports I might be able to provide. But again, my 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 whole purpose of having these conversations and uh, is really to bring about change. It's not just change for my mom. I, I mean, of course, that's that's the immediate change that I'd like to see. But it's also change for everybody else. It's change for people within the community because they're the other ones that are going to be suffering these ill effects as well. It's for change you know, within my neighborhood, within my, within our, you know, our federal, local and provincial municipal governments to look at healthcare in a different way. That again, like I said at the beginning of this, that health equity and anti-racism should be the default in terms of care that we provide to patients and families. Like it should be just at the very bare minimum, that should be a part of all of the care that we provide because it does have damaging effects and it, and, and it has, it has killed people. Like we, like you said, mm-hmm. we've seen it with Brian Sinclair. We've seen it with Joyce Estrecon. We've seen it with Dr. Susan Moore in the States. And there's probably countless others that we don't, we don't know about right, that have right. had these horrible things happen to them. So again, I mean, I'm committed to, to seeing change. Uh, the other piece to this is this nurse. <sighs> Sarah, this nurse. Um, well, I call her nurse lightly. I'm like this this person who spoke to your mom. Let's right. just say that. So, I mean, I 
if this nurse is listening, this this is what I'd like to say. I, I don't think that you should lose your job. No, I don't think that you should lose your job. Do I think you need some health equity, education and training? Sure, by all means. Those are boxes that you can feel free to check off, that you should check off at the very least. But if we're talking about nurse to nurse and professional accountability and professional standards, you do not meet the standard of you did not meet the standard of care. You were not professional. And I am going to be reporting this nurse to the College of Nurses of Ontario. I have drafted up a quite lengthy document because I have gone through all of the professional accountabilities and standards and I pulled out every single one that this nurse failed to do. So mm-hmm. at the very least, you know, you you should keep your job. I don't want to I don't I don't want to see anybody lose their livelihood. But do do I sure as hell think you need a lot more education in terms of learning how to treat people just with dignity and respect? You you, you sure bet. I think yeah. that you you have a lot of work ahead of you. And you know to to those Windsor trolls because I'm getting some of those, which is it's they're so easy to spot. Fuck you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I think just on a personal level, like what your mom went through, it's a perfect it's a perfect story of why there is mistrust of the healthcare system. Like this is not the first time. This is an ongoing trend. And the fact is when you live in certain communities, it's not like you can shop around to find the best hospital. Like there is just the hospital that you can right. go to. So, I mean, unfortunately, that's a reality of the situation. And to this nurse who treated your mom, like just treat people. Is this how you would have talked to your family member. If your family member came to seek care, is this how you would have wanted them treated? And honestly, would it have taken any more time to just listen to your mom and take her concerns seriously rather than this 13-minute battle of like whether she could stay or not? I think is just insane. And the thing is like we talk about how everyone's so busy all the time. I do not think that is an acceptable excuse in any situation to nope. yell at a patient, to dismiss their concerns, to tell them that they need to sit outside when they're actively experiencing chest pain and telling you that they are going to pass out. That yeah, is never yeah. acceptable. And and I mean I think I think one of the things that we did hear was that again, you know, I I don't see color, I don't see race, bullshit. Um and the other piece was that like I treat all my patients the same way. Well, if this is how you treat your patients, maybe nursing is not the career for you anymore. Burnout is no excuse to be yelling and treating patients this way. And again, like I said, if this is how you treat all your patients, I think you should pick a different line of work. And, you know, I think they're always looking for people at Costco to greet people. So... Well, I mean, like greeting people would be a good way to build up your so, your uh, interpersonal <laughs> skills. And honestly, if this was the way that every patient would be treated, that would be an MTER and really pissed off doctors that aren't making any money. That's true. That's true too. <laughs> but I mean, I, I again, like I think at the end of the day, this is this is not just uh, a Windsor a Windsor Hospital issue. This is an issue with every single organization. In general, like, I mean, I'm sure if we were to pull a list of, we should have done this, Sarah, we should pull a list of how many hospitals talk about Black History Month and when they start talking about Black History Month, because the other pieces, you know, 
Black history is Canadian history and we need to start treating it as such. This shouldn't be a one-time event that you feel that you've checked the box for and now you've, you've had enough about talking about it. It's it's not, you know, actually Jordan said something funny to me the other day. He said, he said, what do you think organizations think when they say, hey, you know, we're going to be planning for this. Like, let's say it's like a, a wound care committee. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, you know, people who like wound care, they'd be excited about that. Or it's like, what what about like, you know, for pride? Do you think they're they're more excited? I'm like, yeah, they're, they're probably pretty excited. It's a fun time. I'm like, he's like, how do you think they respond when you say we need to prepare for Black History Month? That's a good yeah. question. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to mention is the fact that if you see something, say something. I can't imagine that this nurse and your mom were the only people that were privy to this conversation. There were definitely other nurses there. There were other patients oh, in yes, the waiting I should, room. I they should have said one. something. They should have. I mean, like, honestly, I, I feel like you need to say something. This is your chance to make a difference. And I wish somebody had said something. So with you saying that, um, of course, with all quality of care issues, they they do their investigations, and there was some some um, that there. Of course, there were other nurses there, and again, the whole like nurses do this shit so stupid. Um, oh yeah, like essentially kind of like protecting the nurse that like it wasn't that bad she wasn't like you know whatever the case may be it's like okay well i have the recording and it really actually doesn't matter if i give the recording over because at the end of the day you should be just treating patients and not worrying about their cell phone use right and uh there was actually a nurse that did say something to my mom afterwards who said you know she's like we have a problem here and I'm glad that your 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 daughter called and that your daughter said something. And then, of course, I think one of them said that they listened to the Grittiers podcast. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Maybe she'll listen to this episode. Oh, no. Pro- probably, probably will. But, I mean, I think at the end of the day, again, like I said, or all organization, this should be the default of care. Health equity should be on every single organization strategic plan. Every organization should be working to seeing how do we achieve better healthcare outcomes for our racialized patients? How do we see better healthcare outcomes for our Indigenous patients, our patients with mental health issues, our patients with substance abuse or addictions issues? How do we see better outcomes for the people that are marginalized or stigmatized in our population? Because really, they tend to get shit on. And that is not fair. And if we're looking at having equitable care, then we need to really look at the the areas of care that are being underserviced. And those are those areas we need. There's so much work that needs to be done. Again, like I am only one person, but again, I'm, I will keep shouting this uh, at the top of my lungs. Yep. And this is not going to be the last time we talk about this. So yeah, so um, buckle up, guys. Much, much more to come. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think the, the the one thing that I can say is, you know, I'm I'm glad that they've reached out. I'm glad that we're working with them. I, I was, I'll be honest, I was annoyed when I first saw the press release, but I was, I was, I, I guess it's not a press release, but the, the statement from the hospital. And it was more about the ONA statement where essentially they're like, we will protect the reputation of our nurse by all means, <laughs> go ahead and protect her reputation because her reputation is clearly more important than patient care and patient quality safety. But, you know, um, that's why we have patient ombudsmans. That's why we have um, legal services. And that's why we have a college. So uh, by all means, do what you guys need to do. If you have experienced racism or you have a story you want to share with us, please email us, go to our website, or DM us through one of our social media channels. 
Yeah, absolutely. We'll do our very best to bring your story to light and uh, maybe even have you on to share your experience. Again, these experiences are, are traumatizing. They're traumatizing to the people that it happens to, to our communities and to our families. And again, I think this is the ripple effect that people have to understand how how this all affects individuals and how it affects people and how it affects communities and how it causes that, you know, we see those poor healthcare outcomes, We, but we've got to do something drastically different to see that change. And I hope that this will be, this and many more episodes like this will be the impetus to seeing change for all people, not just some. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you.